0: Today is Saturday, May 21st, and apparently, according to some, it was also Judgment Day. But did you notice? Did anything happen? I mean, how does this even get so much press? And Jesus said that not even He knows the date and time. But the people pushing this idea say that actually the Bible reveals that we can know when it's going to happen. So where there are actually people out there today expecting that the world was gonna end or for rapture to happen? This is all out of the mind of Harold Camping, founder of the not-for-profit ministry of Family Stations. He has written some 30 books and hosts a weekend radio program, but apparently he also predicted that Judgment Day was going to be in September 1994, but he said he was pretty sure this time. Let me just be clear. The Catholic Church does not teach anything about rapture. For those of you who are hearing this word for the first time, it refers to the idea that in the end, Jesus will descend on a cloud and all the righteous people will be taken, or raptured, up to heaven to be with Christ. They will be separated from sinners who will be left behind. In short, because we don't have a lot of time, the Church has rejected this interpretation of what will happen on the last day. And Pope John Paul II warned against this way of thinking. Here's what I think. It's true. We need to be aware that Christ may come at any time. But you know, Christ comes at any time. He comes every time we celebrate the Eucharist. Christ is here. We've been at the end of times for the last 2,000 years. Maybe we need to be focused on that. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara-Man and here with me is Chris Demitrenko. Good evening, Pedro. So what uh, can we look forward to in the
1: news today? Well, I want to tell you about an important new study that's uh, been in the headlines all week, uh-huh. as well a little bit of difficulty with the Anglican Ordinariate in Canada, the right. establishment of a, of a group for Anglicans who want to join the Catholic Church. And uh, I'll be telling you about the Pope's
0: summer plans. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that'll be coming up uh, very shortly. And today, Mark Matthews returns. He's our Hollywood undercover missionary. We'll be speaking about the film, There Be Dragons. I'm sure you know about this film, Chris. Oh, of course. I haven't seen it yet. No. Well, we're looking forward to see what Mark has to say. Mm -hmm. And Lawrence is off sick today, so we won't have a saint of the Week. But instead, we'll be listening to a rebroadcast of an Easter reflection by Father Thomas Rosica on Jesus a good Shepherd, and Chris, you know as well that the Vatican released two documents this past week: one on the use of the extraordinary right, and one on the guidelines concerning acts of pedophilia.
1: That's right. It was a really big week in terms of Vatican. Releases. It was.
0: So we're going to be speaking with uh, Bishop Paul Andre du Rocher of uh, Alexandria Cornwall in Ontario here about those two documents. So that'll be in the second half hour. And today we also feature a group from Vancouver. PS98, 98, Psalm 98, and here they are with their song, Forever.
2: With all my heart and all my strength, I will follow you always, like the path into salvation. Lead me to your ways, I am your humble servant.
0: That was Rafael Agunod with PS98 and their song, Forever. Some members of PS98 will be with us in the second half of the program. And in about 15 minutes, what's good about Hollywood with Mark Matthews. But first, Chris is still here with our news. Well, Pedro, a major study was released on Wednesday that
1: has shattered some myths about clergy sexual abuse. It was conducted by New York's John John Jay College of Criminal Justice, Commissioned by the American Bishops Conference and actually the United States Department of Justice provided some funding. Okay. Now, it looked at the causes and context of abuse in the United States. Now, the report found that neither celibacy nor the male priesthood were causes of the crisis. And one of the reasons why they say that is well, celibacy and male priesthood have been constant, whereas there was a definite spike in abuse cases in the 1960s and 70s, and then a steep decline after 1985. Now, the report also says that it's not about gay priests either. The study says that uh, clinical results show that priests with a predominant same-sex attraction are not significantly more likely to sexually abuse minors than priests with a heterosexual orientation. In fact, the study found that uh, there were more priests ordained with a predominant uh, same-sex attraction during that time, and we're talking about celibate priests here, yeah, yeah. there was actually a decrease in the number of abuse cases. Interesting. Not saying that there was necessarily a correlation, but overall saying there isn't really a link right? Uh, in that regard. Now, it's hard to really come up with any profile of an abusive priest, because the report finds that there's no single psychological, de- developmental, or behavioral characteristic that is really distinguishing these priests who are abusing minors. Uh So then what are the causes? Well, the study shows that the highest number of incidents were between the mid-1960s and the mid-1980s. And the report is blaming poor formation of priests in seminaries who just weren't equipped to handle celibacy. And also, this is all coinciding with changing sexual norms in society, in other words, the sexual revolution. So these are perhaps working together. Now, does the data correspond with studies of other institutions? Well, no one knows, because there have been no comparable studies of this scope. And the report itself says that no organization has undertaken a study of itself in the manner of the Catholic Church. Interesting. Now, uh, turning to Canadian news, Pedro, the Archbishop of Toronto says that, yeah, there are challenges for Anglicans who want to join the Catholic Church, but he's hopeful these can be overcome. Now, Archbishop Thomas Collins of Toronto, he's the Vatican's delegate responsible for implementing Anglicanorum Cetibus. Now, that's the document that mandates the creation of structures called ordinariates, and these would allow Anglicans to join the Catholic Church while still maintaining their distinct liturgy and identity. Now, on Monday, the Archbishop released a statement in response to reports of a pause in the process. Reportedly, traditional Anglican bishops who want to join this ordinariate wanted more time to discuss outstanding issues. What are the issues? Well, they concern Anglican property, as well as visits by Catholic mentor priests to the Anglican parishes. The source of these reports was a leaked letter by the head of the traditional Anglican communion, Archbishop John Hepworth. He was sending this to the Australian delegate for the implementation of Anglicanorm Chetibus. Um, the Archbishop, Archbishop Collins responded. Regarding the priest visit, he wants to reassure Anglicans that the pastoral relationships and ecclesial structures of the Anglicans must be honored with respect and gratitude. He did acknowledge, Archbishop Collins, that there are, quote, complicated corporate and legal issues regarding the property which must still be resolved but he thinks that these surely can be overcome. Now, for his part, Archbishop Hepworth, the head of the traditional Anglican communion, he released his own statement, and he regrets that that letter somehow was leaked. And he's, he's actually saying that, you know, people are confusing anger in the letter with just Australian forthrightness. Ah, I mm-hmm. see. Yeah, so that they are very forthright. Yes, I didn't know. Now, lastly, Pedro, uh, Will it be a working vacation for Pope Benedict? The director of the Vatican press office announced the Pope's summer plans, Mm -hmm. and uh, he will be going to his summer residence in Castel Gandolfo at the start of July, and he's going to remain there for the entire month. A German report is saying that he's going to pass on taking any trip to the countryside. Why? So he can continue writing the third volume of his series of books on Jesus of Nazareth. So that's Excellent. good news yeah. for those who have read the first two volumes, the most recent one being released at the start of Lent. It was yes, very good.
0: it is. I'm actually still uh, reading it. Um, thank you very much. Krista Matrenko, our Salt and Light Radio news producer, uh, let us know what you think about what you hear on this program. Send us an email, radio at org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. My name is Pedro. Our website is saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Coming up is our diocesan update. But before that, we're all used to hearing Jesus being referred to as the Good Shepherd. Here is Father Thomas Rosica with a rebroadcast of the third installment of our Easter series, Stay With Us, Lord. (laughs)
3: What have we heard and seen these past weeks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How can we describe it? We talk about it as the new creation, the great feast, the ark come through the flood, a rich pasture, a lover's garden, the eternal palace, the heavenly temple, the city that has awaited our return for years, the new and eternal Jerusalem. Resurrected life, then, means to be baptized and recreated in Jesus to come to the table, to survive the flood, to hear the voice of the shepherd, to be the beloved of God, to be heir to the throne and priest to the temple and citizen of this new spirit formed city. On the fourth Sunday of Easter, traditionally called Good Shepherd Sunday, we go one step further and we look at Jesus as the Good Shepherd, the risen one, who journeys with us, who walks with us, who carries us on his shoulders as the shepherd carries that lost lamb on his shoulders. Jesus relies on one of his favorite images of shepherd to tell us that we can place our confidence in him as the risen Lord. Tending flocks and herds is an important part of Palestinian economy in biblical times. In the Old Testament, God is called the shepherd of Israel who goes before the flock, he guides it, leads it to food and water, protects it, and carries its young in his arms. Embedded in the living piety of believers, the metaphor of the Good Shepherd brings out the fact that the entire people is cherished and sheltered and protected by God. The New Testament does not judge shepherds adversely. They know their sheep, seek lost sheep, and hazard their lives for their sheep. The shepherd is a figure for God himself. Jesus knew shepherds and had much sympathy for their lot. The New Testament never calls God a shepherd, and only in the parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15 and Matthew chapter 18 does the comparison ever occur. Here, God, like the rejoicing shepherd of the parable, takes joy in the forgiveness and the restoration of the sinner. The choice of the image reflects vividly the contrast between Jesus' love for sinners and the Pharisees' contempt for them. In fact, it can be said that the Emmaus story, which we heard last Sunday, is a continuation of Jesus' mission, his pursuit of wayward disciples, which was already prefigured by the parable of the shepherd who went in search of the lost sheep until he found them and return them to the fold. The Beloved Shepherd metaphor provides us with one of the most powerful and beautiful metaphors in the Bible. Our God and his Son are shepherds that care for us and know us and love us, even in our stubbornness, our deafness, and our diffidence. Anthropologists tell us that between the hunting and farming stages of cultural development, Shepherds stood as people who existed in both worlds and tied them together. For that reason, shepherds appear in ancient myths and sagas as a symbol for the divine unity of opposites. What the ancient pagans hinted at, the Christian faith has brought into a deep, crisp reality in Christ, who is the great reconciler of humanity. He is the good shepherd, who has come into the center of every great conflict in order to establish unity and peace. John's Gospel expression of Jesus as the Good Shepherd invites us to look carefully at the Greek meaning of the word we have often translated simply as good. In fact, the expression in the Greek New Testament is really the beautiful shepherd or the noble shepherd and not simply the Good Shepherd because the outward beauty and nobility of the shepherd are inward realities of beauty and nobility that lie within. Today, may Jesus, our Good Shepherd, guide us into those verdant pastures of peace and joy. When we follow the risen Lord and listen to his voice, we are assured that goodness and kindness shall follow us all the days of our lives. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, embraces us, loves us, and leads us home. That was the third and
0: last installment of Stay With Us, Lord, with Father Thomas Rosica.
2: You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM.
0: You can download our podcast at saltandlighttv.org slash radio and also on iTunes. And now it's time for our diocesan update, sitting in for Jenna Murphy, who's very busy out on an assignment, is Sheridan Echilar. Welcome.
4: Hello, Pedro. Welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So, first up, I just want to congratulate everyone who's received their First Holy Communion right. recently and has been confirmed. Uh, right. So, I remember it was a pretty special time for me and uh, I think such a special time for all those youngsters out there. Yeah,
0: that's true. A lot of First Communions and, yeah. and confirmations going on. So, yeah, great.
4: And also, I'd like to put a bug into everyone's ear to suggest uh, to our listeners to consider having a spiritual retreat sometime uh, during the summer. It's a good time to have this, uh, with all the business of a fall behind us. Right. And, um, you know, you can check out your local and website to see what's posted. Uh, there's right. just so many great retreats going on at this time of the year.
0: Yeah, and as we come up with stuff, we'll be giving suggestions, but that's a great, uh, people can start thinking about it right now.
4: Yeah, so uh, we're going to start out in Vancouver with a heads up about two great events. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is for those who enjoy Good Worship a concert, uh, Don Moen and uh, Matt Maher, yeah. uh, our Canadian-born Catholic uh, singer-songwriter. Uh, he's yes, also and been, he's been on our show. Yeah. Yes,
0: of course, Matt Maher. He's been on Salt and Light TV. He's a great. He's a good friend. So yeah. that's that's great. So he's going to be in Vancouver.
4: Yes, and uh, these two talented musicians are going to be at the Broadway Church, and that's the evening of Thursday, June the second. So that gives everyone a little bit of time to purchase their tickets, and uh, you can do that at uniteproductions.com. Or you can check out the Archdiocese of Vancouver's website. Um, that's, uh, and then also at the same time, we have uh, the Office of Youth and Young Adult Ministry. Uh, they're going to be joining forces with the Archdiocese Vocations Office and Catholic Christian Outreach. Okay. And they're going to be having an event called uh, Source and Summit, Adoration for Vocations. And that's going to be on a Saturday evening, and that's June 4th at St. Patrick's. Parish in Vancouver, so definitely two events that you'll want to put into your uh, your phone's calendar. Yeah,
0: that's great, so that's for people in, in Vancouver.
4: Yes, and then in Edmonton, we've got um, Friday, May the 27th, Blessed Sacrament Parish in Wainwright mm-hmm. is going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of Father Leonard Gardner. Oh! Yes, 50 years of uh, uh, ordained uh, priesthood, and right. so I think that's a great uh, yeah,
1: it
0: is.
4: celebration, and, uh, and that will be out in Blessed Sacrament Parish in Wainwright.
0: Okay, good. So we can celebrate the priesthood.
4: Yeah, and for those who are interested in interreligious dialogue, Mm -hmm. there's a great event called A Muslim-Christian Conversation that's going to be coming up uh, Thursday, May 26th, at the Trinity Lutheran Church in Edmonton. And you'll find this very interesting uh, because it's uh, sponsored by the Intercultural Dialogue Institute. And there's no charge to attend. That's good. And all are welcome. And the best part is they serve Noah's Pudding, Okay. And it's very yummy. It's made of fruits, nuts, legumes, and grains.
2: Okay. And, yeah,
4: and it's uh, served up into one pudding, and it's it's very, it's very good. Okay,
0: that yeah. sounds interesting. Legumes. All right. Yeah. Okay, and, I'll take uh, your word.
4: you can visit their website at dialoguegroup.ca.
0: Okay, great. And in
4: Saskatoon, we've got the Western Conference for the Catechumenate. It's holding its 21st annual conference. And that's a two-day conference. It's going to be next Friday and Saturday, May the 27th and 28th. And uh, this year's uh, discussion is going to be RCIA and liturgical catechesis. And they'll be discussing how to use the church's liturgical rites as a primary resource for RCIA uh, catechesis. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be held at uh, Holy Spirit Church in Saskatoon. Great. And then in Toronto uh, on May 29th, so that's next Sunday, at Our Lady of Perpetual Help, the church is hosting a, um, a concert called The Lord is My Shepherd, An Evening of Music of Comfort. Okay. And the organist Peter Daly and Frank O'Grady will perform a selection of classical works. And uh, there's, uh, there's no fee. There's just a donation towards the organ repair. And I think that's a really classy date option.
0: Yes, yes. So
4: that's again um, Our Lady of Perpetual Help Church. And out on the East Coast in New Brunswick, the Atlantic Catechetical Association is having their biannual conference. It's okay. called Transfiguration, Seeing with New Eyes, Responding with Renewed Vision. And this year's event is being hosted by the Office of Faith Development at the Archdiocese of, Monk- of, uh, of Moncton. Yes. And uh, and that's going to be held from May the 27th through to the 29th. Okay. So that's so a weekend Friday, event. Friday,
0: Saturday, Sunday.
4: Right. And, uh, and that's going to be taking place at the Romada Plaza Crystal Palace in Dieppe. And if you'd like to register, check out the Diocese of uh, Charlottes' website.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Sheridan. Great to have you in the program this week. Sheridan Eichlar, she's an associate producer at Salt and Light Television and sitting in today for Jenna Murphy. And uh, coming up is Mark Matthews with What's Good About Hollywood, So Don't Go Anywhere.
3: You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM. I'm Pedro
0: Guevara-Man. You can find Salt and Light on Facebook and also on Twitter. Our email address is radio at saltandlighttv.org. And now it's time for... Undercover Missionary, your source for everything Catholic in Hollywood, with Mark Matthews.
5: How are you doing, Pedro? Good. So, today I want to talk to you about uh, this brand new movie that came out, There Be Dragons.
0: Okay, the Opus Dei movie.
5: Yes, the big Opus Dei movie. So, if you don't know much about the movie, it's basically a movie that's about the life of St. Jose Maria Escriva. Yeah. And he is the founder of Opus Dei. And that's the same order that was recently vilified in the Da Vinci Code. And probably everyone knows about that.
0: Yeah, so, of course. Okay. So... Yeah. so,
5: and just so you know, I am a huge fan of Opus Dei and St. Jose Maria Escriva. Okay. So, what. What's good about this movie is it has very high production value, a stated budget of $36 million. Wow. Uh, I believe Passion of the Christ is $25 million, you know, so, I mean, this is a real movie, you know, with real wow. sets and a huge production. Um, unfortunately, uh, the numbers uh, don't speak so well for it. It pulled in $0.7 million on its opening weekend, and it has a rating of 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. And that. Yeah, that kind of puts it into territory of some of the worst movie bombs of all time.
0: Okay, so, so, okay, so hang on. So $36 million. How, who yeah. has that money? How did, this, did Opus Day put the bill for this? How did it get made?
5: Uh, it was basically some investors uh, who were Opus Day members, and they said, hey, you know what? We want to help polish the image of St. Jose Maria Escriva. Let's get together and, and make a movie. Okay. The way a movie is made, um, which you probably know, but it's it's a sort of a very interesting dance or a creative process between the director, the writer, and producer. And in a regular sort of kind of Hollywood film, there's typically a studio or production company that is supervising this whole process, and they kind of put checks and balances on the whole thing. And most importantly, in regards to the script. Mm-hmm. So, so what happened on... This film is, they got a script written for it, which apparently, according to, like, you know, reviewing agencies, was a very good script. Uh And they asked a director by the name of Roland Joffé to direct it, who directed uh, movies like The Mission, which you've probably heard of.
0: And The Killing Fields, yeah.
5: Exactly. So, sounds good. You've got a really good script, uh, and you've got a really good director. Everything should be great, right? Yeah. (laughs) You would think. But it wasn't. Well, it wasn't, yeah. So where, where things went wrong, uh, So if you dig a little deeper and you looked at Roland Joffé, you would find out that uh, pretty much the only reason The Mission was a good film is because uh, Robert Bolt is the guy who wrote it. Um, the movies that uh, Roland has been doing in the last 20 years are really, he hasn't really been that successful. He's been nominated for two Razzies. Uh, some of his films are pretty much almost like softcore porn. Um, and... Has very left-leaning viewpoints, you know. Interesting. Yeah, Um, and what happened is, for some reason, they decided, you know, what we're going to let Roland Joffé, we're going to let him rewrite the entire film, Uh, and basically, he kind of almost in a sense hijacked the picture. He rewrote the whole thing, um, and they gave him the old the sole writer's credit for it, and they also gave him a producer's credit for it. So you might say, well, you know okay, he hijacked it, but then it's like, well, no, the real question is, is why did the investors let him hijack? Exactly. Why did they give him, give him all that control?
0: Exactly.
5: So, I, I, think, I think this could be distilled down to two important lessons for Christians here, and one is that um, if you want to, if you're a Christian, you've got your $10 million and you want to go into Hollywood and make a really good film, you really need to understand the industry and understand how this whole, you know, process works. And I've kind of, you know, greatly simplified it, but it's very nuanced system and you really have to do your research before you invest your money you can't just blindly throw it at hollywood and expect a good film to get made right and then
0: Lesson the two? other
5: thing that i understand kind of happened with this is they were kind of like well you know what roland joffey he made the mission you know don't question it he <laughs> he is unquestionable in this uh, and you can have a director like Zack snyder who's made 300 holding 210 million dollars for that but just because he's a good director doesn't mean he's a good writer. So you can't kind of get, you know, starstruck. You really have to be maintain an objective viewpoint right. when you put a movie like this together.
0: Okay, well, there you have it. And and th- this is a movie that, you know, we can't afford as Catholics to be making bad movies, right?
5: Exactly, yeah. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not in support of it at all. I'm not telling anyone to go see it. And if you do go see it, I mean, essentially you're saying to Hollywood, make more films like this, which I don't think helps us out as
0: Christians at all. Well there you have it, what's good about Hollywood with Mark Matthews, our undercover Hollywood missionary and apparently now a movie reviewer. He joined us on the phone from his home in LA. Coming up in our second half hour, a conversation with Bishop Paul-André Durochet of the Diocese of Alexandria Cornwall about two new documents released by the Vatican. And we meet two members of the Vancouver-based group PS98, so don't go anywhere. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio Part 2. I'm Pedro Guevara Mann. This past week, a circular letter published by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith requests bishops from around the world to turn in guidelines for dealing with the sexual abuse of minors by clergy or religious, and they have a year to do so. Also, the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei released the Instruction Universae Ecclesiae, which means to the universal church, on the application of the apostolic letter Summorum Pontificum. You probably don't remember, but Summorum Pontificum is the document released by Pope Benedict XVI in 2007 restoring the traditional Latin Mass. Now, earlier this week, I spoke with Bishop Paul-Andre du Rocher of the Diocese of Alexandria Cornwall and asked him to explain these two documents. Bishop Paul-Andre, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Now, tell us regarding the text Universae Ecclesiae, why is this proclamation being made now
6: well uh, this uh, this document Universi Ecclesia is actually called an instruction uh An instruction is a, a document from Rome uh, that uh, indicates how a law is to be or a series of law are to be um uh, followed. Okay. Uh, the law itself was established by uh, Pope Benedict XVI three years ago in a uh-huh. document called Summorum Pontificium,
2: right. in which
6: the Pope allowed a greater use of the celebration according to what uh, he has termed the extraordinary rite. Right. And the extraordinary rite is, um, is a way of celebrating the Mass that uh, people who are older, like myself, could remember from their childhood. It was the way Mass was celebrated throughout the Catholic Church before the Second Vatican Council and the liturgical reform that was determined by the Council. The ordinary rite is the way we've been celebrating since the mid 1960s uh, throughout the world. Right. Uh, so what the Pope is doing is um, indicating, actually, it is the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, is indicating how this permission for greater use of the uh, the older rite is to be applied through the dioceses. In okay, the
0: world. so. How will these changes affect individual parishes?
6: Well, I, I don't think particularly in Canada that this is going to affect particular parishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the permission was given uh, three years ago, and I think that in the various dioceses where there's a sufficient number of people who've indicated a, a desire to celebrate according to the extraordinary form, uh, there has already been provision for that. For example, uh, in my own diocese, in the past three years, I've only received two uh, requests uh, for a celebration right. in in this um, form. That that is obviously not sufficient to establish. Uh,
4: celebrations
6: Mm -hmm. that way. Uh, But I've indicated to these two people that uh, in Ottawa, which is not too far away from here, there is a parish where the uh, liturgy is celebrated according to the extraordinary form, and this has been going on for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't think this new uh, directive, this instruction, will have a huge impact in the ordinary life of parishes. In those dioceses where this, the rite is celebrated presently, I think the, the, the instructions give some. Greater precision, some indications on various issues that have arisen. For example, uh, can we use uh, the extraordinary rite for the celebration of confirmation, for marriage, for baptism, uh, for the other sacraments? What to do during Holy Week? Can priests use uh, the um, Older form of the briefery. These issues are also uh, studied uh, within uh, this instruction.
0: But the ordinary is also in Latin?
6: Well, we can celebrate the uh, ordinary rite in Latin. Certainly, it is done often in Rome in international. Uh, uh, gatherings I've celebrated the Mass in Latin, in the Ordinary Rite. Yeah. So the difference between the ordinary and the extraordinary is uh, forms are not so much at the level... Well, Latin certainly, because uh, the extraordinary uh-huh. form The language is Latin, though I must admit one of the interesting aspects of this uh, new instruction is that even within the extraordinary form, the liturgy of the word can still be proclaimed uh, in the language of the people. But uh, there are many other differences between the two forms. Uh, For example, the readings that are used from Sunday to Sunday uh, in the extraordinary form, there is no a proclamation of an Old Testament text. Okay. Uh, the cycle of readings is on one year instead of in three. There are numerous okay. other ritual differences uh-huh. between the two. So a priest who celebrates in the extraordinary uh, form must have the proper training and the proper knowledge of Latin to be able to right. do Right, so it won't be a big change. I don't expect that this is going to entail uh, uh-huh. much impact in ordinary parish life in Canada, no.
0: Now, just a note for anyone tuning in at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro guevara Man, and we're speaking with Bishop Paul-Andre Duroche. Now, regarding the text concerning acts of pedophilia, what are some changes concerning the protocol or the disciplinary action?
6: Well, uh, I think what needs to be noted is that this uh, circular letter from the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith is addressed to the Episcopal Conferences throughout the world. And what it's asking all the Episcopal Conferences is to uh, develop for their uh, country, because usually Episcopal conferences correspond to a country Mm -hmm. or a small group of countries, to develop for the diocese within their country some guidelines so that each diocese will then develop its own uh, policies regarding uh, the uh, question of sexual abuse of minors uh, by clergy. Uh, Now, this... in Canada, this was done 20 years ago. Uh, in a okay. sense, Canada, I believe, was the first uh, Episcopal conference in the world to have developed guidelines for the diocese within the country on okay. this issue. And so Canada and other countries since then have done the same thing, the United States, uh, the uh, England, uh, wow. Ireland now, I believe Australia has. So various Episcopal conferences over the past 20 years since Canada produced its own have developed their own guidelines for the right. dioceses of those countries. Right. What Rome is doing now is, I, I think Rome has studied these various uh, uh existing uh, guidelines, and inspired by those guidelines, has now uh, established um, its own guidelines for all the Episcopal conferences in the world, okay. and is asking all the other Episcopal conferences to do the kind of work that Canada, the United States, England, and Ireland has already done in uh, in this area. Okay. So I don't think this uh, new circular will have a major impact in Canada. I've only... Um, looked at it briefly, quickly, but I think that uh, we cover all the grounds that uh, this circular is asking us to cover, and so it will be a question of uh, making sure that we continue to implement this in the correct way.
0: Right. So what are the grounds?
6: Well, uh, the the circular is asking the various conferences to be attentive, first of all, to the victims of, of sexual abuse, uh, to their care, um, and... In the process of responding to allegations to uh, verify that the way that they are responding to the allegations shows that care to uh, possible and, and victims uh, of sexual abuse. Um, the, the Circular also invites the conferences to pay attention to the question of protection of minors. Uh, for example, in Ontario, about 10 years ago, all the dioceses of Ontario were involved in the implementation of a screening initiative. So that is the kind of protection of minors that Rome is calling for. It's also uh, asking that uh, guidelines be given on the formation of uh, future priests and religious. Uh, and again, this is an issue that the seminaries in Canada are now addressing. The guidelines speak about the importance of accompanying priests. Mm -hmm. uh, As they, um, if a priest has been uh, accused, uh, how do we accompany a priest through this? How how do we deal with priests? So those issues need to be specified in uh, diocesan policies. The cooperation with uh, civil authorities is uh, very important. As a general rule, canon law. Uh, indicates uh, that when civil and canon law touch on the same subject uh, canon law should follow the lead of civil law okay. but here this is this is very important and it's being made very clear uh, and for example in canada i know that this is uh, the now the general practice okay. that for example there is a duty to report if we ex- suspect that mm-hmm. uh, uh, a minor is being uh, abused, that we report this to the police or to the Children's Aid Society in Ontario. These, these things, um, these stipulations are written right into our protocols now across Canada. So, so those are some of the issues that Rome is specifying need to be considered when developing uh, national guidelines.
0: And you have the protocol on your website?
6: Yes, uh, as most dioceses in Canada do. uh, I know that all the the dioceses in Ontario do. I know the situation more concretely in Ontario, uh, that uh, we have uh, published our diocesan uh, guidelines, our our policy. And um, as a matter of fact, our own uh, policy, as in other dioceses, is continually being updated. So ours will be updated in the next few weeks taking into consideration recommendations, further recommendations that have come from uh, the Canadian Conference a couple of years ago, from the Assembly of Bishops of Ontario, of Catholic Bishops of Ontario, and also from a public inquiry that was held here in uh, Cornwall. Uh, So uh, we are in the process of updating our uh, our diocesan Uh policy on this issue.
0: Okay, so it is a big step for clarification and for helping people with this process.
6: Well, I I think that this new circular that is coming from Rome is going to be a major step in those countries that have not addressed this issue yet. Uh, Many conferences have not had to deal, uh, you know. uh, There have not been uh, great numbers of allegations that have come up, and so many dioceses, I think, for example, uh, probably in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, have not had to deal with this. Well, now they are going to be invited, while they are invited, by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Uh Faith to uh, develop uh, guidelines for their own dioceses and asking all the dioceses to develop their own policies. uh, And uh, they are asking all the conferences, national conferences, to send in their their proposed uh, guidelines. I think Rome really wants to keep abreast of what is going on throughout the world on this issue.
0: Bishop Paul André, thank you very much for joining us today.
6: Yes, you're very welcome. Thank you.
0: That was Bishop Paul-André Durochet, Bishop of Alexandria Cornwall. I spoke to him earlier this week. Here now is PS98 with Jesus, I Need You.
2: cause Jesus
0: That was PS98 with their song Jesus, I Need You, singing with Minerva Macapagal, and the song was written by Minerva Macapagal and by Jay Esplana. PS98 stands for Psalm 98, and they are a music ministry designed to evangelize, praise, and proclaim God's Word to help the youth develop their time, talents, and treasure in order to follow Christ, actively living the faith and in communion with the Catholic Church. That's right off their pamphlet. They're also one of the Canadian groups that were selected to participate in the Youth Festival at World Youth Day 2011 in Madrid this August. And joining me now to talk about PS98 and their work is uh, music director J. Esplana and Brian Bird. Guys, welcome to Salt and Light Radio.
7: Hi, Pedro. Hey, Pedro, thank you.
0: So, Psalm 98, what's the significance of the psalm? Why is the group called Psalm 98?
8: Well, that psalm... uh speaks mostly of uh, giving glory to God through, through music, through sound. It speaks of trumpets, speaks of uh, all the world, all the seas, all the, all the earth resounding with glory for God. And I think that was that really speaks to what we're about as a music ministry, is using our musical talents, uh, which God has given us for uh, that purpose, to give Him glory. So it's hmm. very much about music, and that's and giving
1: glory to God. That's
0: right. It begins with, sing a new song, right? Exactly. To the right Lord, yeah. that. And you guys are all about new songs, um, so that was Brian speaking, right? That's that's correct. Now, Jay, yes. uh, you're the music director. How did the how did the group start? Are you sort of a parish-based group, or how did? Um,
7: well, funny you ask. Um, when I first joined the group back in two thousand, late two thousand seven, uh-huh. um, what happened was um, the group was already existing, but when I joined, basically, what it was was sort of a collaboration of other youth from different parishes in the archdiocese of Vancouver.
0: Okay. Oh, so, so, and it still is that?
7: And it still is that, and we're all from various, um, parishes from the greater Vancouver area.
0: Okay, so you are spread out all over the place. Yes. yes. Um, so, but it's a, it's a youth ministry? Like, it's ministry, right? I mean, that's what you do.
7: It's a, it's a music ministry, um, primarily focused on youth ministry, youth music ministry. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and we go around to various parishes, and we do fundraising initiatives, um, with local parishes, um, and it's actually, you know, the funds that we raise are sp- split quite evenly amongst both um, the parishes and us, so we do a lot of work in that sense, a okay. lot of community work as well.
0: Okay, yeah, I want to ask you about that. Um, Brian, how many how many members are in the group right now?
7: Uh, we have about
8: uh, 10 members right now. Uh, it, it's changed a couple times over uh, the past couple years, but the lineup we have now has been together for at least the past two and a half years or so. Uh, there are about four, five band members and about uh, five or six vocalists, so I guess it brings us up to about eleven. Actually, <laughs> it's a oh, large group, yeah. Yeah. so we're pretty sizable.
0: Okay, so so the ten uh, would be the the music group and the singers. I, is there uh, some a larger kind of ministry group that's also part of the team, or how does that work?
8: We also have um, our our overarching um, director of the group. Her name is Maribel Agunad, yeah. uh, who's kind of um, more of an administrative side, organizing our. Our concert, and well, right now getting us ready for uh, for World Youth Day in Madrid. We also have a, a spiritual director, uh, a, a parish priest out in mission, British Columbia, right, uh, Father Alessandro Lovato at the Abbey. That's that's correct. Oh, he's actually at Saint Joseph's, which is oh, very okay. close, yeah, close yeah, okay. very close by to the Abbey. That's
0: correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um,
8: and we also uh, and we also have um, other parents who are involved uh, supporting us and a lot, helping our music ministry. So, I mean, the core um, of of the group is the the musicians and the the vocalists, uh, And but we have a, quite a Quite a strong support network
0: and there are children, if I'm correct That's right we also
8: have uh, some, some kids who are probably the the up and coming up and coming the future um, musicians uh, perhaps uh, who are right now uh, dancers actually so okay. they do some interpretive dancing um, we've had uh, them for quite a while and they're so you're
0: they're, grooming them
8: that's right so the, the, the future <laughs> uh, the future of the, of the music ministry you know what
0: that makes perfect sense we've got to start the youth ministry you have to start them when they're eight years old. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Now, just a note for anyone that might be tuning in at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara, man. We're speaking with Jay Esplana and Brian Bird, two members of the uh, Vancouver-based group uh, PS98, Psalm 98. Now, uh, uh, again, just going from the description of the group from your from the booklet that I have, you inspire youth to develop their time, talent, and treasure. So uh, how does that work?
8: Well, I think we. Interesting in terms of uh, the, the lineup changes that we've had over the past couple of years, a lot of times the people that have joined the band have been uh, people that have been at concerts that we've we've come to. So we've gone to a particular parish, and uh, someone has come up afterwards, and uh, you know the Holy Spirit has been obviously active and has uh, led us led a certain person to our music ministry. And uh, we've seen certain people uh, who have maybe started off very timid in terms of their their musical uh, abilities, and over the past couple of years have really grown in terms of their through uh, the, our music ministry uh, in terms of confidence and um, evangelization and their uh, confidence in proclaiming their faith through music. Um, and so in terms of inspiring, I think that's worth what that uh, refers to. Right. Um, I mean, I just witnessing my, for myself over the past couple of years, I know for me the Psalm 98 has, or PS 98, our music ministry, has had an impact not only on, I think, people that we sing to at our gospel concerts, but on the members themselves as well. We've seen uh, change internally as well as externally.
0: Now you mentioned earlier about the fundraising and some of the social uh, activities that you social work or hmm. a community based activities that you do is that also part of the uh, young people uh, developing their time and talent and treasures, not just the music right? definitely
8: not I mean we as jay mentioned, whenever we go to a particular parish i mean each parish in, in uh, has its own particular needs at the time, be it their youth ministry may need some some assistance in terms of equipment or funding they may have uh, the building some sort of building project at the time or certain groups within the parish are in need of funds and so whenever we go into a parish to do a gospel concert um, and we fundraising for ourselves for the purpose of going to World Youth Day uh, in Madrid, we also look to, uh, to assist in any way we can i.e through the fundraising
6: at the Great. concert to
8: assist in their local needs. I okay. think a lot of times and a lot of times we'll have um, local choirs and bands um, at a particular parish and often their youth ministry choirs with us at the concerts to kind of, you know, I guess, develop their
6: right. confidence,
8: know that they're, they're not alone. I think it yeah. g- uh, develops a bit of um, a sense of, a greater sense of unity within the, within the archdiocese, that it's not just, you know, one parish. It's, you know, many, par- many parishes, many archdioceses, and obviously one universal
0: church. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, Jay, tell me, I have the one album. Is that the first album?
7: Uh, the album that you have right now is... Psalm uh, 98. Psalm 98. That is our second album. Okay. Yeah
0: so uh, uh tell us a bit about uh, do you have other albums in the works are you hoping to do an album that's mostly original music or cause I
7: we've been sort of holding that off um for the moment but um that was sort of the um the goal for the second album was to feature some more original content yeah. um our, our our first album featured a couple of original songs as well um yeah. but in the future we're actually hoping after world beauty to, to record another album hopefully and uh because the group that we have right now is solid. It's really settling in, and uh, yeah.
0: It is actually. Uh, you guys sound really good. Now, now you mentioned World Youth Day. So you did you both go to to Sydney?
7: Um, I went to I went to Sydney. Brian didn't.
0: Okay. So how was Sydney, Jay?
7: Sydney was actually fantastic. I mean, it was it was my first World Youth Day. Yeah. I, so I'm pretty new to it, um, but it was great. It was you know just a sense of fellowship and sort of the camaraderie amongst you know the different youth from around the world. It's great because. We sort of go there as a musical group. Uh, we perform there.
0: You had the um, chance to be, you were like animate, You animated one of the catechesis sessions, didn't yes, you? Yes, we
7: did. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, it was great in the sense that um, not everyone there spoke the same language. Yeah. And, I mean, that didn't prove at all to be a communication barrier at all because no. when we performed and we sang for all the youth, for everyone that attended the festivals and World Youth Day, it was great because we really felt like we were getting across to everyone that was listening
0: to our music and mm-hmm. good good now and and now you are this is the group that's going to madrid so yeah. both of you would be going to madrid that's yeah. correct yeah so any any big plans i know i spoke to maribel a little bit and and things are still up, up in the air but what are your hopes for madrid brian
8: well i think we'd uh, w- yeah, things are still kind of being uh being organized and uh the final details are being put into place but we're hoping to uh like jay kind of alluded to in um we were involved with the Sisters of Life from yes. New York.
0: at the Love and Life site, yes.
8: That's right, and uh, we're hoping to be, we will be involved with them again um, at their uh, three-day catechesis that they're going to be hosting in Madrid. Yes. Um, we were their official house band um, in, um, in Sydney. In, okay. Uh, and uh, we're yet to have that kind of designation uh, this, this time around. We'd love, that would be an amazing opportunity. Yeah, that would that. be great.
0: Maybe Yeah, I think it's a good time to mention to our listeners that the Love and Life site that the Sisters of Life and the Knights of Columbus had in Sydney is going to be the Love and Life site times 100 in Madrid because they have a huge 16,000-seat stadium, the Palacio de Deportes. Salt and Light Television is going to be broadcasting from that same site. It's going to be the largest English-speaking catechesis and youth festival site uh, for World Youth Day 2011, and PS98 is going to be there. I know that for sure, you guys. So And I'm going to be there, so we'll, we'll get to connect, uh, not in Canada, but in Madrid. <laughs> so, yeah. so that'll be fun. So thank you very much. It's been great uh, meeting you and listening to your music. Um, keep up the good work.
6: Thank you, Pedro. Thank you, Pedro.
0: You're very welcome. We've been speaking to Jay Esplana and Brian Bird, two members of the Vancouver-based uh, Youth Ministry Music team, uh, PS98. They don't have a website yet. They're in, it's in the works, but you can look them up on Facebook if you want to bring them up, bring them to your parish, or if you want to find out how to join the group. So look them up on Facebook, PS98 or Psalm98. Here now is PS98 with their song, Revealing My Gratitude.
2: Lord, you rescued my soul By sacrificing your on the cross
0: We're listening to Maria Legallada with PS98 and their song, Revealing My Gratitude. And that will take us to the end of our program this week. If you missed any portion of this program, remember that you can stream or podcast all Salt and Light radio programs at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And you can also check for the links to our artists or guests at that same website. To learn more about what we do here at Salt and Light, go to saltandlighttv.org. And to follow us closer, look for us on Facebook and Twitter. Twitter. Thank you for considering us when you're making your charitable contributions. We cannot do this work without your support and your prayers. So thank you and God bless you. I'm Pedro Guevara Man and this has been Salt and Light Radio.